0: Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of Bally Sports Miami mic Up with me Jeremy Taché and we have a great episode headed your way today. He's one of my favorite basketball voices, one of the hosts of Basketball Illuminati and a contributor on a whole bunch of different Metal Ark Media platforms. Tom Habistro joins me today on this episode to review Heat Hawk's preview Heat Bulls and to preview the potential Heat Buck series so long as the Heat advance past this play in round. Plus, we'll also dive into some of the other series around the NBA in this postseason and take a trip down memory lane with Tom as part of his career took a trip down to what everyone else refers to as South Beach what we know is downtown Miami to cover the Miami heat so lots of fun stuff coming your way but before we get to all of that some exciting news both personally and for us here at Bally Sports Florida and Sun Friday night we have our first ever Alternate Marlins broadcast on the Bally Sports app and Bally Sports Plus. You can also watch it on BallySports.com. It's called Inside the Game Live, where we will be offering you a second Marlins broadcast experience. This one hosted by Jessica Blaylock with our analyst Rod Allen. And guess what? I'll be there as well, participating in this broadcast, my first ever Major League Baseball broadcast, and I could not be more excited. I'll be interacting with all of you on social media, so be sure to tweet at me, at Jeremy Taché, and interact with us, at Bally Marlins. That'll be the important place. Watch along with our alternate broadcast on the Bally Sports app, ballysports.com or Bally Sports Plus, and tweet at me, maybe your Questions will make it to the air. I'm really looking forward to that one. So again, previewing Heat Bulls that will be taking place on Friday night, but I'm hoping you'll be watching along with us on the alternate broadcast of Marlins Diamondbacks as the Marlins are coming off a series win in Philadelphia. Lots of fun stuff headed your way. But first, before any of it, here's Tom Habistro. And now, Metalark Media's own Tom Habistro, a man who is a voice on a multitude of of podcasts across that network and beyond Tom Habistro it is wonderful to have you on Miami mike would Up today thank you so much for joining me
1: this is an honor and privilege I am just (laughs) the face of Miami Heat basketball the voice of of Miami Heat basketball uh man I'm just it's an honor
0: that is uh first of all way too much second of all I I don't I really truly don't know how to respond to it and I, I won't have it uh, the, the first question, the first question that I have for you is actually the same one I ask everybody who comes on this podcast, which is outside of basketball, outside of work, what is something recently that has brought you joy?
1: Uh, my daughter, uh, she's six years old. She just figured out that when you do multiples of nine, And you add the digits together. So 9, 18, 27, 36, 45. When you add the digits together, they equal 9. And she just was blown away by that. And I was (laughs) like, oh my God, this is magical. So like, I'm I'm a math nerd. uh, I'm a research guy. And so I love just digging into the numbers on some things. And my daughter, just the magic in her eye of like, this is this is actually happening. Like you can do that. It just, it brought me so much joy. It's, it's one of the great things about parenting is when your kid just the light turns on about something and it could be just like, you know, Oh, I really like this particular flower or I love this song. She will play, um, cold play, uh, sky full of stars um, nonstop these days. And how, so how old is she? Just, how old is she? She's six.
0: Yeah. Amazing. That's amazing. Well, I mean, I imagine in parenting that that those moments have to be the sweetest. And specifically with this one, to see her kind of taking after you on something, having math be something that lights up for her, I feel like it's like you know when Vlad Guerrero saw Vladdy Junior hit for the first time, and he was like, "Ah, he's got it." Also, there you go.
1: It's totally cool if she wanted to go in a different direction, and like basketball, <laughs> for example, she loves ballet, she loves soccer, she loves swimming those three things I'm totally terrible at (laughs) and I will support her if she wants to do karate one day. Awesome. But it is cool. Like, um, just seeing Jeremy, the, um, the puzzle pieces fitting in her mind Mm. and just the wonder in her eye of like, Oh my God, that's how it works. Oh, there's like a, there's like middle little magic kernels in math. That is so cool. So I, that was awesome. Um, that would just happened this morning, so in you know, front of mind. So th- that is a that is a nice intro question.
0: Good. Well, thank you. And that was a perfect answer. That's exactly the type of thing I was I was hoping we would get to um, something really happy and wonderful before getting to uh, something not so happy and wonderful, which is uh, the Miami Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. You know, I, I I planned to speak to you today. We're speaking on on Wednesday afternoon with the full idea of hey, we're going to be previewing. The Heat and the Celtics in a series that I was hoping would be striking fear in the heart of every Celtics fan. And instead, we're here with the result in hand from Tuesday night, Heat losing 116-105. It feels like just about everything that could go wrong for the Heat, everything that they couldn't do, everything that could break right for Atlanta, it all was a, a catastrophe of errors. So, Tom... What did you see in this game? Was it schematic? Was it work? Was it luck? What was it play in this this matchup between the Heat and the Hawks?
1: They got waxed on the boards. Yep, that's what it comes down to. Ball game, twenty six to six on second chance points. Um, that's just unheard of for an Eric Spolster, Miami Heat team. Just that's an area of the game that is willpower, is focus, is energy. And they usually have that in spades over their opponent. And, um, you know, you say everything that went wrong, could go wrong, did go wrong. And I'll just flip it on its head. Like, if I had told you, Jeremy, <laughs> that Kyle Lowry would score right. 33 points and Tyler Hero would score 26. And the And the Atlanta Hawks would shoot 59% on free throws and 24% from downtown, you're saying, let's go up to Boston, right? right. That's a 30-point win for the Heat most games this season. And actually, the, the numbers here, um, teams with those numbers this season of their – uh, they're shooting less than 24, 5% from three and less than 60% from the free throw line. Teams that did that stunk it up from those two categories and shooting. They're one in seven this year. Wow. And in the last 10 post seasons, those teams, again, can't shoot a lick at the three 3 point line or at the free throw line. Last 10 postseasons, three and 13, Jeremy. No. So the Atlanta Hawks ran away with this one in Miami where... They've been just dominated. And Trey Young, just last year, had one of his worst playoff series of his career. And look, Jeremy, when you look at ESPN.com, where I used to work for 10 years, and see that 17 out of the 17 respondents to the question, who's going to win this play-in game, Atlanta or Miami, and 17 went with Miami— I think that doesn't give enough respect to what Quinn Snyder has done in the, se- in the sure. second half of the season. Uh, Trey Young, what he did to the New York Knicks a few years ago, and what he's done, maybe not to the Heat recently, but, man, 17-zip on that just seemed to me like a little overboard. And as you saw in this game, no pun intended, overboard, they just crushed the Heat at that part of the game. And that's it. That was it. Um, it's just... I, I want to say it was a one game blip, but like schematically, personnel wise, like Kevin Love and Cody Zeller just didn't play. They basically right. didn't play. Um, they didn't go to zone almost at all in this game. They're the most zone really heavy surprising. team in the league. They didn't go zone. Um, they made, I think, three possessions, my guy Coot Moorhead pointed out. Um, so it just it didn't seem like. They really knew what they wanted to do in this game, Um, their identity, so to speak. It wasn't really apparent, and I think they let this one get away because they had a lot of things going right for them. But Jimmy Butler in the fourth quarter, uh, 0-2 scoring, no assists. I think that's the first time in the last three years or so that he's been 0 for in both the points and the assist column in the fourth quarter. So some things were like, that's Miami Heat basketball. Other things, total blip. Uh, and hopefully for the heat, it doesn't last long for their next uh, their next play in elimination game.
0: It did sort of feel like this team was almost relying on, yeah, Jimmy's just gonna keep doing Jimmy's thing right like because he's been carrying them so much over the last few weeks particularly on the offensive end that it almost felt like there was this sort of assumption from the rest of the team that he would keep that up and it was an off game for jimmy particularly around the rim same deal for bam and you know what i'm saying everything that felt like it could go wrong right trey young who has been horrible against the heat in the last number of games he plays the best he has in a long time against them that's in part because of their defense but a great game from him the Heat struggle to shoot. The role players don't produce anything. And then a, a place where they were good all season long. They they were one of the best defensive rebounding teams in the league all year long. And that's the place where they struggle. And when you talk about identity, you know, it felt like the Hawks had a plan here, which was basically every moment where they saw Bam Adebayo out in the perimeter, just shoot because we're going to get the rebound. 17 offensive rebounds off of three point attempts yesterday which was unbelievable to me to see and you saw so many of them was just bounces you know the ball just not going anywhere near the miami heat because atlanta was out muscling them underneath so really a, a disappointing you know effort all the way around for the team
1: yeah so typically a team recovers about 25 percent of their missed shots offensive rebound rate 25 percent, somewhere around there sure in the second half of that game, the Atlanta Hawks recovered over half of their misses. Wow. Goodness. You know, that, that it's just that two times as much as you would expect. So, so it's almost like they flipped. The defensive rebounding turned into offensive rebounding. You know, offensive rebounding turned into defensive rebounding where you don't expect that. So, um, you know, looking at cleaningtheglass.com, the Miami Heat's half-court defense, like limiting Atlanta's first-chance opportunities – they did an excellent job at that. You know, Atlanta when they had just their their first attack, the Heat did a pretty good job snuffing it out. It's just the second chance opportunities and and Spo talked about it after game. Yep. That that can't happen. Like the it was all about the second chance opportunities um and because this team has been a good rebounding team in the past, it seems like that could be just a one game. All right, put it you know, put it behind us and we know what we need to do in this in this Uh, Upcoming game, the do or die game here. Uh, But again, like when you look at this, it feels like they got the best Kyle Lowry game you could have ever asked for. And Tyler Hero came to play, and Bam had a solid so so game. Like in terms of complete Bam out of Bio games, not his best, but um, you know, they just just needed a little bit more. They came back and rallied back in a very Miami Heat fashion, uh, but just wasn't enough. Atlanta just kept kept batting them down at the end there. And there was just, there was just too many times where Ineke Kongwu or Jalen Johnson or uh, Clint Capella just owned the boards. And that was it.
0: Yeah. It was a, a complete domination from start to finish. So now the heat host the Chicago bulls on Friday night in Miami. zero three against the bulls this season. So Obviously, the Heat have struggled with Chicago thus far throughout this season. What makes them a tough matchup for Miami? And if the Heat are to come out on top and play their way into the postseason, what will the X factors be for them?
1: Well, look, this team kind of is like looking in the mirror of the Miami Heat. They are top five defensively and bottom five offensively. Um, They're just a team that loves to grind it out. Uh, They love the mid-range with DeMar DeRozan. They've got a new identity with Alex Caruso and Pat Bev in the backcourt where it's just... They're gonna be inside your jersey the entire night. It is so hard to go against one of those dudes, but Pat Beverly, two of them, they're gonna get under your skin. And it, like, it would not surprise me, Jeremy, if like there's three little brawls between <laughs> Pat Bev and Kyle Lowry, for and Jimmy real. Butler. for real, right? Like it just seems like we're destined for especially some sort with of the testiness
0: after uh, after the game against Atlanta. Like with where everything is at and the desperation that'll be on the line, it does feel like these two teams would have that type of matchup of, of sort of ugly basketball and a lot of testiness.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't wanna discount how good Zach Levine has been over the last month or two of the season, averaging twenty-seven points per game uh since March first on fifty-two percent shooting. From the floor, 39% from downtown, and 87% from the line. I mean, he's playing like Kevin Durant out there, um, and so you always have to make sure that when there's a, Zach, a healthy Zach Levine out there, uh, you have to get you know different actions at him, and it's so hard when you got a scorer like Demar Derozan who's just so creative and one of the best shot makers in the game. It's hard to put too much attention on a guy like Zach Levine when you have a Vooch and a DDR out there. But that's that's what it's playoff basketball is all about, is there's going to be tough matchups. And the thing about it is whoever's going to win that half-court game, whoever's going to be able to grind out those points and slow it down playoff basketball, that's going to win. Because these are two elite defenses who really struggle in the half-court, and we'll just see who can knock down those shots. Because this season, both Chicago and Miami haven't had a great three-point shooting season, um, but we'll see. Uh, they, they love the mid-range. They love attacking the rim. And we'll see if the Miami Heat can do better at attacking the rim after what we saw against the Atlanta Hawks where they had just six. Count them. Six makes at the rim in that entire game against Atlanta. Uh, they got to turn that around against Chicago.
0: So let's say the Heat do get through this play-in matchup. They end up going to Milwaukee and they take on the one seed Milwaukee Bucks, a team that that seems in a lot of ways sort of unstoppable. What makes this team so uniquely dominant outside of, you know, the obvious of, hey, they have the former back to back MVP and Giannis Antetokounmpo?
1: Yeah, what's crazy about them is they've had only 33 games with Chris Middleton this season and they still were the number one seed in the Eastern conference with Chris Middleton on the floor. Um, they're just like a 70 win team. Mm. Um, we like to think that they're taking a little bit of step back from, you know, the championship level. Um, you know, they don't have, uh, a lot of the same rotation, but the continuity is there. Drew Holiday, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Middleton, Connaughton, when they're on the floor, uh, they're as tough to beat as anybody in the basketball game, the whole thing. Um, so with Chris Middleton on the floor, uh, that's going to be huge. Uh, how healthy can he be? Um, how healthy is he going to be able to uh, exert himself on both ends of the floor. The Heat are going to try to exploit that matchup, um, but with them, with Chris Middleton on the floor, they're 25 and 8 this season, an elite clip. Um, but we'll see. Uh, this is this is Giannis, a team that absolutely embarrassed the Heat a couple years ago. Uh, we've seen time and time again the Heat when the backs backs against the wall when you expect them to be down and out from recent um, experience that they punch you right back. We'll see what happens with this Milwaukee Bucks team, but man, they had their number a couple years ago against Jimmy and the and the squad. I know. I know Eric Spoelstra is going to have some tricks up his sleeve.
0: Well, and and let's go there for just a second. You know, this is a Bally Sports Florida and Sun podcast. We are by our slogan, the heart of the fans. So realistically, rooting for the Heat to win, covering this team locally. If I'm looking for a reason to say, hey, not necessarily that the Heat can beat Milwaukee, because we all know that's a long shot, but hey, the Heat can put up a fight. The Heat can scare Milwaukee. The Heat can put some fright into those fans in Bucks uniforms. What would be the factors on the Heat that would have to go well for the Heat to be able to, like, you know, strike some fear in the number one seed in the Eastern Conference?
1: If you have Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love on your team, you're gonna take some charges. There you go. It's gonna be an absolute charge party. Like that, Giannis <laughs> barreling down the paint. I like this. the only way that the Miami Heat I are like win this. that series is if Kevin Love and Kyle Lowry just decide I'm retiring after this series. Like I'm that's
0: gonna, it, God, right? I'm just gonna take bows. I'm gonna. We're gonna have Giannis average two, you know two and a half offensive fouls a game, and that that's how you're gonna get it done.
1: That's it. Is that they're just gonna be crash test. I love that. There. Like it's the only because because a that that makes him not want to go into the paint right if you build a wall and then the guys you know take take charges that's a gonna dissuade him from going and attacking the rim and b that's gonna put him in foul trouble um, and so that is kind of the only way that you can guard Giannis at this point is walling off the paint and if he lowers that shoulder uh, just take that charge and so Kyle Lowry um Kevin Love are two of the very best they in really the game are. at it. Um they they've got it down to a science. It's going to take something like that for them to throw a wrench in this whole series because they're so good offensively and defensively, the continuity, well coached. They've already won a championship together. Um that's going to be so hard for the Miami Heat that have struggled to find who they are this season, whether they're just an, an elite zone defense team. Um or whether they're kind of like the Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, pedigree. We're just going to muck things up and, and play things in the half court and overpower you. It's just trying to get all of those things firing on all those cylinders has been difficult for the heat this season. And, uh, we'll see, but man, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be such a tough out. And with, you know, Chris Middleton, we're going to see how healthy he is in that knee. Um, Get Giannis in foul trouble and hope that Chris Middleton isn't 100% because otherwise it's going to be just like it was a couple years ago.
0: It just feels like the uh, the old baseball saying, spawn insane and pray for rain. It, it, it's sort of that level of just, all right, we'll throw it out there, hope to draw charges, hope Jimmy goes crazy and see what happens. Um, but let's let's get to a couple of outside of Miami playoff questions before we get to a little bit about your career. I'm wondering, what what is the first round playoff matchup that you're most excited to watch?
1: Oh, it's Golden State-Sacramento. Has no to doubt. be, right? I mean, there's there's, there's no doubt why the NBA put that game in the prime time, 8 o'clock start uh, on ABC, because that is the best storylines. You have Sacramento being in the playoffs for the first time uh, since 2006, since Rick Adelman was the head coach. Um, 2006, I mean... It's just, it was a different world. I don't even know if the iPhone was around in 2006. I don't, I don't um, think, it, I think that's 08. So I think you're right. I think you're right. It, now I have to look been it up. Entire iPhone generation since the Sacramento Kings has been in the playoffs. And it's such an exciting brand of basketball. They're like the best fast break team in the country. I mean, in the NBA, you've got the team that just goes at the rim nonstop, the complete opposite of the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors love to spread the floor and get three-point shots and have some shots from around the arc. Uh, they're not a team like the Miami Heat that that pounds the uh, pounds the paint. Um, and then you just have like the local regional aspect of right. the Sacramento Kings fans would love nothing more than to kill the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs. Like there there, there isn't, maybe the Lakers, maybe the Lakers would would be in that conversation, but schematically you just have this up-tempo, former Steve Kerr assistant coach, Mike Brown, who's got the best offense in NBA history in terms of points per possession, uh, going against Draymond, and and stephen curry it's just vivek ranadive the former minority owner of the golden state warriors going to the sacramento kings and starting up his own franchise his own team there's just so many stories harrison barnes former nba champion from the golden state warriors going on to the other side and trying to take them down it's just it's an amazing series i actually have the golden state warriors as the favorite in the western conference Mm. I just think when you have Gary Payton, the second coming back from injury, uh, you have Andrew Wiggins coming back from his long layoff, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green are healthy. That's my championship team. Um, I've just have been a big Steph believer over the years. Cause I think we've never seen anything like yep. him. So it's slow for people to appreciate what he does and how he warps the game. He's Shaq from 30 feet, just drawing mm. all that attention from behind the arc. Uh, I think it's going to be an amazing series because of the the schematics of the fact that they're the anti-Miami Heat. The, the, the Sacramento Kings, best offense in NBA history, one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Right. And it, as we know in the NBA, you need to be elite at both ends to win a championship. And I think that's the Golden State Warriors, not the Kings.
0: I think it's interesting... To hear you say that the Warriors are still your favorite despite being a six seed, but it makes sense. I mean, they're the Warriors. They've been through these challenges. I will update you here. Uh, first iPhone was released June of 2007. So yes, uh, the Sacramento Kings have not been in the playoffs since the <laughs> iPhone came out, which is insane. Uh, since
1: LeBron James was in the NBA Finals as a 22-year-old. Yes. Right.
0: Since then, since then the, the Sacramento Kings have, have not been to the playoffs. Um, and I was going to ask you, now we know the answer, so I'll say outside of the Warriors, which team is most likely to pull off a first-round upset in terms of seeding? Obviously, the betting favorites go one way or another. But in terms of seeding, which lower seed is most likely to knock off another higher seed other now than the Warriors?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be the Lakers over the Memphis. Um, Mm. The Lakers in that Minnesota game, they they almost blew it. I mean, the Anthony Davis three-point foul shot um, in the corner against Mike Conley. It was shades of, I think it was 2015 when the Pelicans were going against the Warriors and Steph Curry down three in the end of the regulation gets a corner three-point shot. In New Orleans, I was there covering it for ESPN, and Anthony Davis just flies across the court and just tackles Steph as <laughs> Steph is getting just barely getting the shot off, and it wasn't even called, Jeremy. They didn't even call really? a foul on it, even though he was just absolutely sledded into the, like the third row. Uh, Steph Curry hits the shot; it goes into overtime, and the Warriors win. Mm. But like that, that kind of like boneheaded play can always creep up. And and just crush the Lakers. But what I think is going to be really interesting is now that Stephen Adams, who's the backbone of that defense in in uh, Memphis, now that Stephen Adams is going to be out with an injury for the rest of the postseason, this is a, they're ripe for the taking here. Um, yeah. I know. Look, Memphis has had some uh, off the court issues with John Morant, some distractions there, some um, uh, unbelievable. Uh, highlights from John Morant, but I do think that they're vulnerable, and the the Lakers right now uh, are looking a lot better. Uh, I think Austin Reeves is legit. Uh, LeBron James never want to count him out, but against a team that is injured, a little bit battered, um, I think the Memphis Grizzlies are ripe for an upset. I mean, I don't know what the betting markets are going to say, Jeremy, because like I think the public would probably favor the Lakers in that series, but You know, just looking at the standings where the the Lakers are a seven seed and the Grizzlies are 51 win team. I suspect that that will probably be more even in the betting markets. And that could set up
0: right because there's not reseeding in the NBA that could set up for a second round matchup between the Warriors and the Lakers, which would just be uh, sensational to see a six and a seven between those two teams in that position. Um, Speaking of LeBron James, let's get to your career. Let's let's talk about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I ask a lot of folks who come on the show where their passion for their sport originated. And I find your, your way of covering the sport to be really interesting. So I want to kind of tackle both sides of that. So first with basketball, did you play basketball growing up? Was there a team you fell in love with? How did the passion for basketball come into play for you?
1: I got a tribute to my grandma, Um, my grandma was a huge UNC basketball fan. Love Michael Jordan. Um, I just have this vivid memory of Jeremy of my grandmother who's like half Chilean. Um, she's in North Carolina running on a Nordic track, like an exercise (gasps) machine and watching this like little tiny TV and just yelling, go Tar Heels, like white yelling at the refs or whatever it was. And I was just like this little kid. And I was just so in love with her passion for Mm. basketball and her love for basketball. Um and it was UNC. Like that was my team. Um, me too,
0: actually. Strange. Is that enough. right? Yeah, I grew up a huge huge gigantic Tar Heel fan because my family when I was a little kid took one vacation and ultimately multiple vacations to North Carolina, but we took one vacation, I saw Carolina Blue everywhere and I was just enamored with them. So I there's pictures of me in every stage of youth in a way too large bright Carolina Blue hoodie. So so I'm sure yes. you have the same photos. Where in North Carolina did you go? So we went we went to at the time we just went to Blowing Rock, um mm-hmm. like right near Boone. Um but as soon as I started seeing people and we've gone back there a number of times since it's the most now it's all beautiful app state. place. Yeah. Right now it's all app state, but at the time it wasn't so dominated by it. So there was UNC Tar Heel stuff everywhere and you know, as a kid also they were great in basketball. So like for me I like my first favorite college basketball team is like Sean May and company um, Sean and May, I was, Raymond Felton. Yep, Raymond Felton, Rashad McCants on and that Rashad team. McCants, yeah. yeah. And, and I think a freshman Marvin Williams might've been on that team too. So it was, I mean, I was in love with that team. And so from there and then, you know, the Ty Lawson crew and then the Kendall Marshall, Harrison Barnes, Zeller. So it's like, I really loved Carolina basketball as well. So it's, it's, it's making me nostalgic. Just hearing you be nostalgic about it.
1: Well, it's weird because I grew up outside of New York City and my dad was uh, from Boston. So like I was in Knicks country and Mm. I grew up in Knicks country. And then my dad was kind of like he was a Celtics fan, but more so a Red Sox fan. So like it was just very natural for me to gravitate to college hoops. and, And those when I those who are young now don't realize how fun college heaps used to be because it it wasn't one and done. You were invested in these players. And so you could watch Jerry Stackhouse and Rashid Wallace, Eric Montross, uh, Shaman Williams, um, and, and all the other guys, the greats in, in the ACC, uh, and have this, like just this, thing inside you that hated Duke with every being. Yep, yep. It was just, it was, it was unlike anything you could get in the NBA, just these rivalries. And so that's kind of died with a lot of the one and done and just the the, the changes to the NBA, NCAA system. But that was my first love for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I used to go to basketball camp there, uh, with Dean Smith. Um, and funny story. I was on Mario Chalmers basketball team at UNC camp. Get out of here. That's insane. That At what age was this? So this was, I think, like we were sophomores or juniors in high school. Oh, my gosh. And so, Jeremy, we, we, like, we <laughs> this were This kid awesome. from Alaska. He, this kid was unbelievable. He right. was so good. I mean, he was the best player I have ever played with. Um, and, of course, he became one of the best college basketball players ever yeah, he um, was amazing. at Kansas. Uh, and so I'm sitting there um just like in awe of this dude from Alaska who's like six one and just a point guard but can dunk and all this stuff and just like freak freak talent. And he's like, yeah, I'm kind of looking, you know, maybe going to UNC but like mm. we'll see how recruiting goes and sure enough he goes to Kansas and then flash forward to 2010, I get hired from the ESPN magazine like researcher basement to cover the Miami Heat in it's 2010. Unbelievable. And so I'm like, Oh my God, I'm back with Mario. Me and oh, Rio cool. reunited. Amazing. So Jeremy, I'm like, I'm this 25 year old, uh, like pimply, uh, sweaty, just like kind of still got my baby fat going. Like I walk into the, the locker room and of course it's all of the iconic reporters are there. Right. right. Because this is the biggest story in sports. Right. Um, and so everyone's in there and I, I, Everyone's like over at LeBron's locker. So I'm like, I'm going to go talk to Rio. Awesome. So I get all like, I get really excited. I'm like, hey, Mario. And I do the thing where I'm like kind of pointing to my face like, hey, remember me? And just nothing. He's got no idea. Oh, no. Oh, nothing. no. Jeremy, like I'm like in my head. Oh, no. This is oh, a no. nightmare. What do I do? And I'm just like, hey, uh, remember we played on that camp? And I just realized as I'm saying it, this dude, he's Mario Chalmers, has probably been camps. to a thousand camps. Right. <laughs> and he has played with a thousand chubby little white dudes who look like me. And <laughs> it's just, you know what? They're all the same. Like oh to no. him, it's like, yeah, he's just a guy. Right? <laughs> right. To me, Mario Chalmers is the best player I've ever played with, I'm never right. forgetting that. And he just looks at me and he's just like, man, I got nothing. I'm sorry, man. And if you've ever been around Rio, he's, he's not the most like warm, like embracing, like he's not the most energetic dude. So once he said that, I just had nothing. I was like, okay, well well, that's uh, that's cool. But like, yeah, remember (laughs) that camp? Do you remember, do you even remember that camp? And he's like, yeah, kind of. So it was just, that was crazy. And then, um, you know, that story arc of Rio, that 2010, uh, it was like, Jeremy, like, uh, I don't take it for granted at all that experience because people work their entire careers to be in that locker room. Not saying the Miami Heat locker room, it just in general of like being in the locker room for the biggest story in sports, the biggest team in sports, and not just that like the most controversial team. This isn't like the Yankees where you're just going in there every day and you're covering like Aaron Judge and Derek Jeter and like no this was such a combustible flammable situation that these three players came together mm. against everyone's wishes in sports, right? They were the most hated team. Everyone wanted to see them fail. And like LeBron James in the first week of the seat, there was a rumor that he wanted to fire Eric Spolster. Right. He was going above his head and it was just like, what is going on here? How do I cover this team? But it was all about just, all right, Cut through the BS. My editor, Kevin Arnovitz, was like, cut through all the BS and just tell us what's actually happening on the court. Like, don't even talk mm. about don't even listen to Skip Bayless and Stephen A. And Skip Bayless at this time was calling Bosch Bosch Spice because yeah. of this was an era where you could get away with right. saying something like that. God. That's how Insane. nasty it was. Right. And so I just had the opportunity of just putting my head down and analyzing the game as if it was an experiment was this Mm. idea of three superstars coming together we've never seen anything like this before you're real time explaining how it's happening what's happening on the court and i just was very lucky to be in that opportunity to be like 25 with my guy rio and covering the greatest team in sports at that moment was just it was insane i this
0: is unbelievable and it I wish that I had hours with you to dive into these stories and maybe one day we will just separately off of a <laughs> podcast because I, I want to hear your your favorite stories from that era. But I also want to know like your path toward journalism in general, right? Because you've said you're you're a numbers guy, um, but also clearly had this passion for storytelling as well. And those two things melding is what's made you the journalist that you are. So as you look through the game from an analytical perspective, h- how did you find the path to journalism um and and how did you know you wanted to be a sports journalist was it just truly this passion of you know i love basketball this much
1: or you know what what took you there so in college i was studying to be like a finance bro hmm like i was an econ major at wake forest university which is weird because i was a huge unc fan and yeah one of their rivals um But just like Chris Paul, where they were going to ask Chris Paul to walk on to to UNC... I just didn't get an opportunity to go to UNC. And so I decided to take my talents to Winston-Salem instead Mm -hmm. and go down like the business track, finance, like data analysis, looking at the stock market and making economic decisions, whatever it was. So I was really good at that. And then the market tanked, 2008 housing crisis, 2009, I graduated at the worst time to have a finance or econ degree. So what I do- Holy cow. I just bail on my major. I bail on everything that I learned at that point and said, you know what? I just, I'll throw my resume in at ESPN and I'll play up the idea that I love sports. uh, I'm good with numbers. And I went to wake with an econ degree and maybe I can like latch on to something here that resembles that, you know, like resembles all the, like looking at spreadsheets all day Hmm. and they had a couple positions. And so I actually went to, they flew me up, Jeremy, they flew me up, put me in a hotel and got a car service for me. I was like an entry level out of college kid. And this was just a different era of ESPN. And, um, they're treating me like royalty. I interview for two full-time positions. I get zero of them. Mm. I get, I don't get any of them. And then the lady calls me up and she says, we don't have any full-time jobs, but what about like a temp agency? Would you like a temp job? And I'm like, what does that even mean? She's like, well, we—you'll be hired by this like third party, but they'll work in like the stats department at ESPN as like kind of like a, a stringer, you know? Huh. I was like, I got nothing else. Um, I can be like a financial advisor in Greensboro, North Carolina, or I can work at ESPN. Guess which wow. ra- one I'm going to take? Right, of course. So I take the the temp agency job, and uh, I just work through the research department at ESPN. Right. And then this next level analytics thing started happening, which Moneyball precipitated this movement, this wave across sports of like, there's yep. this new way of looking at the game. So, um, baseball was my thing. I was really good at baseball. I was writing, uh, blog posts about baseball. And then I realized like, I love basketball. I played basketball through high school. Um, can I do this stuff in on the NBA and they were Mm. like, yes, let's do it. There's only one guy, John Hollinger doing this, but there's like 70 others in baseball doing sabermetrics. Why don't you just come over here and ditch that line and run to the front of the line over here. And that's what I did. So I never actually took a journalism class. I actually didn't see myself as a journalist. I saw myself more as like an analyst Mm. who could write, you know, could drop charts, write the story. Um, And in Miami, it was just perfect for that was the idea of like you know trade offs and what usage rates and efficiency and you know chris bosh going to his left his points per possession versus his right lebron james is he actually clutch or is that just a myth like did is skip Bayless right that he is he's got this he doesn't have the clutch gene well what do the numbers right. say and so all my everything, in my mind works every the way it works, and the like economic framing of it just really drew me to covering the game that way. And luckily, I just rode that wave. Like I, I was so lucky. Just not not only the analytics and sabermetrics movement was happening in baseball and, and basketball, but this other thing was happening was LeBron James was happening. It's amazing. and I was able to just ride both of those waves into that career. And I'll, I'll, I'm not afraid to admit. Like without LeBron James, I'm, I'm in some sort of cubicle. Like there's no doubt in my mind that I'm working at some like insurance broker. Um, hmm. As like, uh, I'm just that moment, the serendipity of the the way the game was being covered, LeBron James, and I was going down there. Uh, like 60% of the media right now owes their careers to LeBron James um, because of how it was, the coverage was insatiable. Right. Could not write enough, talk about enough cover LeBron James enough. And so that was, that was how I got in at ESPN. How I got onto the NBA scene was just, it was a shorter line, man. It was just, I could wait in that major league baseball line with 70 other writers or I could do the same thing over on the NBA side and it just was it was uh very lucky. Sure, right place, right time, but the right person to
0: be able to take that moment and run with it. You had the work ethic to be able to take it where it went and to be able to complement, to be able to complement, you know, what was going on from the entertainment specter of Covering this team to be able to back it up with numbers. It really is like it was the perfect moment for it. And I I remember as someone who was, you know, in high school as a fan reading articles going, all right, thank goodness there's a, a, you know, a level headed way of looking at this because I was such a baseball fan. And so I was used to numbers being ushered into the game a little bit earlier. So as someone who came from that baseball background, it was easier to sort of embrace analytics on the NBA side as well.
1: Yeah, it wasn't easy from a culture standpoint. Like, no. There are some people who liked the idea. Um, Eric Spolster, being one of them, loved the idea of looking at the game differently. He's right. always been a sponge for just information, whether whether it comes in all shapes and sizes. They talk about matter.
0: Jim Laranega teaching him the zone. D, you know, like
1: what, that's unbelievable. <laughs> like he would never run zone. Like when I was when I was covering the team, it'd be like, No, that's that's not something we do. Um we're just gonna blitz the hell out of a pick and roll. Joel Anthony is just gonna go out to half court and yep. sprint back. Like <laughs> yeah. it would offend his very being, the idea of, of playing zone defense, but right. um that's just Spo. And so there you know, Jason Jackson, Jacks it was he would always rip me because he's such a baseball guy, loves right. baseball, and yet like it was almost it was almost like there's this new kid on the block who's coming in and trying to reinvent the game a little bit. And mm. that's not what I was doing. I was just like, I don't know, man. I think LeBron's actually pretty good in the clutch, and here's <laughs> why. And, and I was just finding numbers in places that weren't readily available before. And now we're, you know, we know what points per possession is. We know what offensive rating is. We know, um, you know, what... Jimmy Butler shooting percentage in the last five minutes game within five from the right elbow. That stuff before was just, it was, it was just in, it was alien information. Um, so like I, I loved my time covering the team from 2010 to 2014 and then moving to more national market. But the Miami heat have always been so great to me. Um, uh, And Eric Spolstra just, and Pat Riley. The few times that I was able to interact with Pat Riley was just like this one time he just, I was talking to Spo and I was like, Did you know LeBron James is like his scoring rate in the first six minutes of the game is like a third of what it is in the fourth quarter? Like he just waits to attack. And here's a chart, and I like printed out a chart, and I had like this like X Y graph. This is awesome. Was, like, LeBron James is. It was so nerdy, dude. It was such a nerd. No, I thing. love and, it. I love that it was, you like, did this chart of like in game scoring rate of LeBron James, and it was just like shoots up. It just like he slowly works his way into the game, and he's like, and I suppose, like, oh, my God. like, that's fascinating. You know who would love to see that? Do you mind if I show it to Pat Riley? Get out of like, here. I was like, dude, uh, this is no. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. He walks over. This is the practice facility. He right. Walks I'm over picturing the Pat, whole thing. Um, Pat's sitting over there with Mickey and Nick and Zoe across from the court. And um Spo hand, like Spo brings him over. I'm showing explaining Pat Riley, probably shaking. This chart and it's and like, my hand is shaking. Like that's LeBron. That's uh, you know, that's 48 minutes into the game. And he takes the piece of paper, folds it up, puts it into his pocket and walks away. <laughs> just God. Oh my and God. I was like, did that, did he, did that just happen? And so I don't know what he ever did with that. Whether that was like a sign of approval or a sign of like, no, 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 I'm burning this and I'm throwing it into a fire. I'm lighting a cigar. <laughs> a piece of paper. Um, I I don't know, but it was one of those like Pat Riley moments. Everyone has a Pat Riley moment. That was mine.
0: That is a sensational story and the perfect way to cap off what has been a really great episode of Miami Miked Up, Tom. Before I let you go, uh, first of all, thank you for sharing those stories with us. And I, and I hope someday I can have you back on and we could do a little bit more reminiscing on that era. Um, but before I let you go, I just want to give you a chance here to sort of throw out any plugs, any podcasts or anything else that people should be paying attention to. I know you've got your hands in a lot of different things.
1: Yeah. So the the big thing is Basketball Illuminati. The podcast I do with Amin Hassan and Anthony Mays, our producer, um, we tackle all of the big stories in the NBA from a perspective that you won't find anywhere else. And I'm not even talking about like our voices. It's we cover the league. This podcast is different. It is original. Mm-hmm. It is not just us talking about basketball. It is. We are presenting viewpoints and having fun with it in ways that, um, You can't get anywhere else. So Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati, Basketball Illuminati. We say it three times to keep our third eye open. There it is. Um, This week, we got the guy. There's a dude out there, Jeremy, who is tracking MVP votes by hand, listening to every podcast and every article, reading every article by every media member and charting. MVP votes before they're announced a month from now. So he's doing this like secret project. He has a a, a spreadsheet that people like track online. He gets tips. He gets like, Hey, this French reporter just talked on local French TV saying that Joel Embiid is his number one. uh, MVP vote. And he just charts it. So we, we reached out to the dude and it's a really cool story. Um, and one that like, the NBA is going to announce in a month who the MVP is. We already know who's going to be the MVP. Find out. Listen to the Basketball Illuminati podcast because this dude is secretly tracking who is going to win all of the MVP votes, and it's right there for the taking.
0: That's a phenomenal tease. Uh, I love Basketball Illuminati. All of you should listen to it. And anything else Tom Haberstroh does, Tom, thank you so much for joining me today on Miami Miked Up. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami mic Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.